morning, we have the privilege of joining more than 70 other churches in our region uh, preaching on Psalm 24 today. And that will be our topic today is Psalm 24. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we are excited. We are excited, Father, for you building unity in this region. We are more excited to be here in your presence. Be here to tell you how much we love you, to give you the honor and the glory that are due your name, to love on you and have you love on us. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning that which you would have said. Touch hearts, Lord, not just ears. Help change us to be more like Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to start just by reading the whole psalm, and then we'll look at some things about it. So starting in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness of God from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, think of that. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord God of hosts. He is the King of glory. Think of that. I'd like to start with a little overview of Psalm 24. Actually, of the book of Psalms. The title of the book of Psalms in Hebrew means book of praises. And the book of Psalms through history of the church has often been used as a prayer book by God's people as we wait for the Messiah and his coming kingdom. Now, Psalms 1 through 41 uh, are Psalms of David, and they witness to his life and faith and concerns man and his fall, his state of blessedness, and his recovery. According to tradition, Psalm 24 was written by David on the occasion of David's retrieval of the ark and return to to Jerusalem as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And if you notice, the question and answer form of Psalm 24 seems to reflect its responsive use in worship, so that as the... Excuse me. So as the ark was being brought in, Someone was shouting out the question, 
And the congregation was shouting back the response. Now, some clearly divide Psalm 24 into two parts, a processional song emphasizing God's sovereignty and our need for God's righteousness. And then as an, the second part being an antiphonal song stressing the glory of the Lord. However, I and others see Psalm 24 as having a three-part structure. The first part is a declaration of the Lord as creator of all. The second being a liturgy of the entrance of humans into God's sphere. And the third, the liturgy of the entrance of the Lord into the human sphere. And as we look at the opening verses, they assert that the earth belongs to the Lord. Why? Because he created it. He created it and all that is in it. All. The point that David is making is that in the earthly sphere into which the Lord moves in the psalm, it's already the Lord's by virtue of the fact that he created it. And the Lord's coming is not the hostile act of an invading conqueror, but that of one who properly belongs to another. The Lord comes precisely as the proper Lord of the earth. The second stanza will des then describes the coming of mortals into God's space. In verses 3 through 6, the focus of the liturgy zooms in from the universal focus to a focus on the intersection between heaven and earth. The first half of the stanza, verses 3 and 4, is about law, that which is required of humans when entering into God's presence. And the second half, verses 5 and 6, is about promise, that which is bestowed on humans when they enter into God's presence. And then the third and final stanza heralds the coming of the King of Glory into the human space. And here the psalm's key word lift now appears four more times in verses 7 and 9. It refers to ancient gates. Ancient gates had no vertical lift or, or, or doors. In fact, it wasn't until after the building of the second temple in Jerusalem that the Romans developed the vertical lift in 2008 BC. So when he says, open, uh, raise your heads, he can't be talking about lifting the gate because it wasn't even... At that time, it wasn't even thought of. All the gates, all the doors opened horizontally. So rather, it seems to be a metaphor of lifting one's head to acknowledge the entrance of one who is greater, more important and more gracious than oneself. To lift one's head at God's entrance to acknowledge God as God. So let's walk through this psalm verse by verse. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It would also be accurate to say the, instead of the fullness thereof and all that fills it. The earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. 
Verse 2, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And here we see agreement between Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, and Genesis 1, verses 6 through 7, that God created the earth upon the waters. Again, in Revelation 4:11, we read, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by you they, we, they will exist and were created. There was no doubt in David's mind that everything that exists was created by God, who is the rightful Lord of it. And since God created all things, he's the original owner of all that he has created. And we must also note from verse 1 that we who dwell on God's earth also belong to him. It is this fact that causes unbelievers to cry out against creationism and intelligent design. Because to acknowledge a creator and intelligent design means they have to acknowledge that they are not their own God over their own lives. That there is somebody else that they have to belong to and obey. <clears throat> to do otherwise would require belief that we belong to God. And therefore we were created to do his pleasure and not just our own will. In verse 3 then, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? I think David's asking an academic question here. We all know we're sinners. We all know we are not righteous enough to stand before a righteous God. But the answer he gives then in verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In verse 15, he asks, our, I'm sorry, in, in Psalm 15 too, he asks, are any blameless? And here again in Psalm 24, or clean or, and pure. And he knows that there's no one living who is righteous, that we're all born into sin and we're all sinners so this cannot be a claim that some are or can be sinless. We know that with man it is impossible to be righteous before God in our own works. It's only through the substitutionary exchange of Jesus Christ's righteous life for our unrighteous life that we can enter into the Lord's presence. And that is why Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, had to be born righteous and choose to live a righteous life then only to be cursed with our unrighteousness, tortured and sacrificed in order to feel, fulfill God's anger against sin. And it is only those who live in personal relationship with uh, God by grace, God's free gift, through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, it's only those who receive faith, who through faith receive the free gift of new life and personal righteousness that may stand in God's presence. Verse 5, he goes on, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
back all these years before Jesus was ever thought of in, 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 in the way we think of him today, before he was ever known as the Son of God. They knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know who. All those years before, David knew that there would be one who would do what we could not do and then exchange his righteousness for our unrighteousness so that we can indeed come into God's presence. What a privilege! What a privilege! And as we enter into the Easter season, we are going to discover how much Jesus paid, how much he sacrificed to take our sins upon him and give us his righteous life. We receive blessings from God in this world, blessings we don't, re- de- uh, re- uh, don't deserve. We, we, we receive blessings in the world to come, blessings that some we don't deserve. Not through our works of righteousness, but through the gift of God. God's riches at Christ's expense, that's grace. Verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We are not forced to receive God's gift. It is a choice. Those who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's those that will seek and receive the gift of salvation. Those who seek their own selves, who seek success in this world, will not necessarily find the righteousness that they need to stand in God's presence. And that's not to say that God doesn't make Christians successful, because he does. But they don't become successful through their own efforts as much as obeying God and being in his presence and allowing him to direct their lives and their decisions. I like verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We said earlier that this metaphor refers to lifting one's head to acknowledge someone who's greater, more gracious than ourselves. Someone who is so worthy of our adoration. But additionally, lifting up gates may refer to making the gates higher and larger so that such a glorious God can enter in. Now, if you were to look at the gates of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, or even before at the time David wrote this, and you were to look at the gates of the temple, they're made out of stone. How do you enlarge them? Tear them down, I guess, and make them bigger. But I think this is also talking about the gates and and the ancient doors in our hearts. Making them larger. Allowing the Lord of glory, to come into our hearts, our lives. Make room for his presence. 
<coughs> excuse me. Then in verse 8, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. You know, God reminds us, or David reminds us here of God's greatness and his goodness in our lives. All the times we worried. Maybe all the times we feared. But God was there. God was there with us. <coughs> Excuse me. And he wasn't just with us, he was there for us. Again, he, uh, David repeats, Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Referring back to what I said a little bit ago, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and sup with him, and he with me. Now, this verse has been used by some as a salvation text. But if you look at the context, it's written with Jesus having a discourse with his church at Laodicea. He wrote this to Christians. So what is Jesus saying? Lift up your heads and acknowledge the King of kings and the Lord of lords who created all things, including you. Open the doors of every corner of your heart. Give it all to Jesus. Though he is your King and your Lord, he comes as a friend to sit down and visit with you and eat with you, sup with you, nourish your soul, <clears throat> to listen to your innermost cares and your hurts, and to heal you. You know, that's the great thing. Counselors you go to, and some are better than others, but so often they, they are insufficient. But when you come to Jesus, he is never insufficient. And every hurt and care he cares for, and he will be your healer. He will heal those hurts. He won't just tear the bandage off and make it bleed again. He will heal it like brand new. No scar tissue. He makes us brand new. Who is the king of glory? Verse 10. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You know, in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, we read, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, speaking of Jesus' ascension, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken <clears throat> up from you will so come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. He's coming back. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That word comfort more literally means encourage. Encourage. You know as well as I do that daily life, just trying to get through the day, it becomes tiring. It, it becomes heavy. But we do not live in this world or for this world. Well, maybe for this world, but not in this world. Jesus is coming back. And we live in his kingdom. And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I think things are going to get a lot worse in the United States. Personally, I do not see how end time prophecy can be fulfilled as long as the United States is an ally of Israel. So there has to be persecution against the church in the United States and there has to be something that causes the United States either not to be a world power or to turn its back on Israel. None of that is going to bring God's blessings to this country. So I do believe it's going to get worse before, before Jesus returns. That's not to discourage anybody. It's God's plan. And he has said he will take care of those who are his. So while it may get worse... And while my standard of living may change a little, I won't go hungry. I won't go cold. And most importantly, I will not go discouraged because God is here with me. He loves me. He cares about me. And the same is true of you. We will go through hard times, but we will walk through them with God. And we will find victory in those hard times. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I would like for you to take two things from today's sermon. And I maybe didn't point them out too well, but I will now. The first one is that Jesus is coming back. Time is running out. That neighbors, those neighbors that, that you don't really know, that don't know Jesus... Time's running out. That store clerk that you talk to every time you go to get groceries or, or, or wherever it is, time's running out. And it's not to be a heavy, it's to be, it's to be a, 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 a encouragement, an energizer, like the energizer bunny running around telling everybody that Jesus loves them, seeing people with needs and praying for them, and then asking them if you can introduce them to your friend Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and once he's back, time's run out. Those people that you love, those people that you care for, maybe even those people you don't like, time's running out. I don't know that Jesus is coming tomorrow. But I don't know he's going to wait another 2,000 years either. And the second point, lift up your heads. 
Jesus is coming back. And encourage one another with these words. You know, we want, we have talked about desiring the presence of God here in our sanctuary during our services. And God wants that more than we do, I'm convinced. But here we see David telling us, in a sense, how we should prepare ourselves for that presence. Oh, rejoice! Rejoice! Jesus is coming. His presence is coming. Rejoice! (coughs) Give him praise, honor, and glory, which he deserves. And from the heart, not just the mouth. Those are the two things that I think David was trying to to help us understand in these psalms. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you for Psalm 24, written by your Holy Spirit, by you, the Word. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us, for the example you show us, for rejoicing for giving honor and glory and, 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 and professing your power, your unlimited power. You are great, O oh God, and you are greatly to be praised. And it is our heart to do that today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.